uh, Luke 22 doesn't give you as full of a picture as what John will too when we put them together. So you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. Uh, we could go through Luke 22 and, and, and get a, a great picture and a great uh, understanding of that, that particular period of time in Jesus' life, but not like you can when you put them both together. When you put John and Luke 22 together, it puts a whole lot better uh, view on the topic. How many of y'all have had a long day today? Say amen. I'm with you right there. Amen. Uh, but it's almost over. We can end it off on a good note studying God's Word. Amen. Anybody need a lesson? Does anybody need a lesson? We've got them uh, ready to pass out. Raise your hand if you need a lesson. They're coming in the back. Anybody already sitting down need a lesson? Just raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one right over here. Uh, there we go. Yes, ma'am. You will see in just a minute. All right. Anybody else? Anybody else need a lesson? Anybody? All right. Right up here in the front. There we go. All right. Well, let's all stand our feet. Everybody stand your feet. Turn to Luke chapter 22. And uh, we'll start here, read a few verses, let you sit down. Then we'll get started. And, uh, and, and then we'll jump over to John chapter 13 uh, once again. All right. If you found Luke 22 verse 1, say amen. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being the, of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Very important verse. It's one of the reasons that they, that, that, that they needed Judas was because they couldn't, get him, they couldn't get him around the crowd because they was afraid the crowd would stone them. So they had to do it secretly. They had to be able to find him. They had to be able to uh, get to him where, when there was nobody else around. And Judas was the perfect person to help them do that when Jesus was alone with his disciples. So, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou we prepare? And he said, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat, or I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for your will. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for direction and guidance. We thank you for your touch. Lord, I pray that you'll move in an awesome way tonight. Give us what we stand in need of. Lord, I pray that your will be done. We love you and we thank you. We glorify your name. You're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated uh, this evening. Uh, there is 
a ton of verses in this chapter, so there's no way in the world that we're going to finish all the verses in this one chapter, so we're not even going to attempt that tonight. Uh, we're going to take one topic. We're going to see uh, the upper room experience and, and discuss what all that we can learn through that situation. And then we'll next week, Lord's willing, we'll go into the garden and find out what we can learn in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and what Jesus is doing there. Isn't it a coincidence that we are where we are in the Scripture uh, what's what's going to happen in just a couple weeks? Easter. Isn't this amazing how this is all falling together right at the time? Uh, it might not be to anybody else, but I was pretty intrigued by that because it just dawned on me this afternoon uh, that we are in the last hours of Jesus' life in the last couple weeks right before Easter. Uh, so this is building up the momentum, and it should make for an awesome Easter. And we're going to have an awesome Easter. You need to be telling everybody about it. Get your invite cards. Don't forget your invite cards. Uh, we have a presentation that we're going to do, His Life for Mine, which is basically the life of Barabbas. Barabbas. A lot of times we don't talk about Barabbas when it comes Easter time, but it is a very important character in the in the story, the Easter story. Uh, so it's going to be great. Say amen. So make sure and get them and uh, 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 pass them out to everybody you can when you stop at McDonald's. When they hand you your food, give them an invitation. Uh, also, on the back table back there, as you go to leave uh, tonight, we, we are wanting to get some names on petitions. Uh, we are working on getting a grant. <coughs> for a playground uh, uh, for the church and for the, the, the nursery and, and preschool and everything. Uh, so if you could help us out with that and put your name, I don't know, is there anything anything they need to know about that? Just fill it out, put your name, address, and that's what it is. We're not asking for nothing. It's, it's basically a petition to, to help us get a grant for a playground, all right? So if you can help us out with that as you leave, that would be a great blessing. Now, let's get started. Verses 1 through 6. Uh, verses 1 through 6, and by the way, I don't, I don't want to get in a hurry tonight because I just don't want to rush this. This is great stuff, and uh, so I've got a ton of information, so we're just going to go slow and get done as much as we can. Uh, when time is up, we'll chalk it off right there and start next week. Does that sound like a plan? And we may finish it all. I don't know, but I don't want to rush this, all right? So <clears throat> as we get into the story, before we ever even get, before we ever even get to uh, the upper room and, and, and the communion and, and what Jesus did there in the upper room. Let's talk about the first six verses. The first six verses are primarily dealing with Judas Iscariot and his plan and his desire and what he did. Everybody knows who he is. Uh, he was the one that betrayed the Lord. But have you ever wondered why he'd done it? And what was, what was the significance about it? I mean, what was the deal with that? Uh, what was going on in his mind? What prompted him to do what he did? And as we look at it, we see that he goes and he meets with the, he goes and meets with the chief priest and says, Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lead you to him. I'll help you get to him. I'll help you get arrested. But what motivated him? I mean, this man, this man got to see some stuff, y'all. I mean... He got to see he got to see water turned into wine. He got to see he got to see men men's legs being uh, uh, fixed and mended and, and and the dead people rise up and live again. He got to see Jesus walking on the water and I mean this man saw it. One little lad's lunch just just feed thousands and thousands of people. What in the world would motivate him? What would motivate him to betray Jesus? Thirty pieces of silver for the worst crime of all humanity. Well, so, so I don't think it was completely the money. What was it? What was it? Judas, uh, we know he was, he was entered by Satan. He was motivated uh, and, 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 and being led by Satan. But let's look at it even more. He never was a true believer. 
Some people try to say, well, he, he was a believer and he lost it. That's not true. That's not true. He never was a true believer. Uh, John 13, verses 2 and 27, we'll read that. His sins had never been cleansed by the Lord, John 13, 10. He had never believed and received eternal life, John 6, 64 through 71. Why did Jesus, Judas betray the Lord? We know that he was a thief and that money played a part in his terrible deed. But 30 pieces of silver was not a large payment for such a great crime. There had to be something more involved. It is possible that Judas saw in Jesus the salvation of the Jewish nation and therefore he followed him because he had hoped to hold an office in the kingdom. When Judas understood that Jesus would not establish the kingdom but rather would surrender to the authorities, he turned against him in bitter retaliation. Now, I believe that's a great truth. I believe there's a lot of truth to what we just read. He was looking for an office. He was looking for a place of authority. Uh, he wasn't necessarily all about the gospel. He wasn't necessarily all about the truth that Jesus was preaching about the forgiveness of sins. He wanted authority, and he wanted power. And I want to prove it. Not only do we see that, but we also see there was something that Jesus did that made him mad. There was something that I found. I was reading and looking, and I just it just made sense. It all clicked together. There was something that took place that triggered it all. If you'll take your notes and you'll flip it all the way to the back, I printed off some verses. I printed off some verses on the back of your notes. John 12 and Matthew 26. If you see that, say amen. Watch these. Watch these verses. The, the story uh, is talking about Jesus when he is with at a supper. Mary comes and anoints him with an alabaster box of ointment. How many of y'all remember that story? Say amen. In, in John 12... I, and you say, well, why'd you put two of them? Well, one, one says something more than the other, okay? John 12, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of, his, of the ointment. Then said one of the disciples, who said it? Who said it? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a, he wanted the money. He wanted control of the money. He wanted the power. He wanted the say-so. And it says, and then Jesus said, what did he say? Say it in Alabama terms. I don't think you would say, let her alone. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you messing with her? Leave her alone. Can you imagine him being rebuked and scolded because of a woman? Now, this is way... This ain't two, 2012 we're talking about. In, in, in the days that, that we, are, we are talking about, uh, uh, rebuking a man on behalf of a woman, it was almost unheard of. But watch what happens. Watch what happens. Then said Jesus, leave her alone. Again, the day of my bearing, or against the day of my bearing, has she kept this? Basically what he's saying, she's the only one that's got a clue about what's really happening around here. I've been trying to tell y'all and tell y'all and tell y'all I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to go, but y'all ain't getting it. Mary is the only, and by the way, the reason Mary was the only one that knew, she, every time you find her, she was at the feet of Jesus. Say amen. But either way, either way, he scolded Judas. You with me? He scolded Judas. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, 
but me ye have not always. Now, let's look at Matthew's version of the same thing. Let's look at Matthew's version of the same thing. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman, it doesn't name her, but we know who it is, we just read it, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head and he's, as he sat at me. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? Now, in his version, all the disciples were upset. But in the other version that we read, not version, and the other gospel that we read, uh, who spoke up? Judas had something to say. But guess what? Guess what criticism is? Guess what criticism is? Contagious. Judas is the one started it. But in, in this particular gospel, in these verses, we find out that he may have started it, but guess who all chimed in on the deal? Be careful being critical because it's very contagious. It's very contagious. And let me say this. If somebody is critical to you about somebody else, they'll be critical about you to somebody else. They were Listen, it was contagious. We see they're all whining about it. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but ye have not. Uh, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you. Now he goes to bragging. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world... There shall also this that this woman hath done be told for memorial of her. In other words, they may forget y'all's names, but they ain't never going to forget what this woman done. Now watch. This is why I put this together. In John, we find out who spoke up. It was Judas. Judas is the one started it. Judas is the one that had the initial problem. But in Matthew, this is what it says. When he scolded them, when he scolded them and said, Leave her alone, she's doing a good thing. What's the first word of verse 14? What happened then? One of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? What happened? Jesus ticked him off. What happened? Jesus confronted him with reality. Jesus confronted him with what he really was. And that was a thief. You don't care about the poor. You don't care about the poor. You'll always have the poor with you. I'm not going to be with you forever. And I, I you know what, honestly, I, I believe there was a little bit more to that. I believe Jesus said, well, why hadn't you cared about the poor before now? And he confronted him with truth. And it says the very next word, then he went to the high priest. You know what that tells me? Some of us don't like being confronted with truth, do we? How many of y'all know in the last two or three weeks, God's really been busting us with truth? And we're going to do one or two things. We're going to do one or two things. We'll either repent or rebel. We'll either see it and make it right, or we'll bow up and rebel. There's only two options. We can't keep going and doing the same thing. We can't keep living like we were living. Once we are confronted with truth, we have to deal with it. Well, Judas did. He dealt with it. He's mad. He doesn't like the deal. 
He realizes it's starting to dawn on him that Jesus isn't going to run Rome off. Jesus isn't going to take care of all these Roman soldiers. I'm not going to get my plush office. I'm not going to get my place of authority. So I tell you what, I'll just deal with you. Judas is scared. Now here's the deal. Let's go back. Let's go back to the first page of our notes. We're in the upper room. We're going to talk about Judas again in a minute. But we're in the upper room. What's going on? We're in the last hours. We're in the last hours of Jesus' life. We're in the very last moments of Jesus' life. Max Lucado wrote this in the book, The Angels Were Silent. This is what he said. He's a great author too, by the way. When a man knows the end is near, only the important surfaces. Impending death distills the vital. The trivial is bypassed. The unnecessary is overlooked. And that which is vital remains. So if you would know Christ, ponder his final days. He knew the end was near. He knew the finality of Friday. He read the last chapter before it was ever written and heard the final chorus before it was ever sung. As a result, the critical, or the, the critical was centrifuged with the, from the casual. Distilled truth uh, taught. Deliberate deeds done. Each step calculated. Every act premeditated. Knowing he had just one week with the disciples, what did Jesus tell them? Knowing it would be his last time in the temple, how did he act? Conscious that the last sand was slipping through the hourglass, what really mattered? What really mattered? I've been at the deathbed of a lot of people, and I've never had one say, boy, I wish I could work a few more hours at the factory. Boy, I wish I could get just one more 18 holes in. I've never heard that. The only words I've ever heard was what was really important, what was really, listen, significant to the heart of the person that was there. What we're reading here in the upper room to Jesus is what was really significant, what was really important. In the upper room, there's some things that are revealed. There are some things that are uncovered that, that Jesus wants us to see. And some of the things that were uncovered and revealed to the disciples, they did not necessarily appreciate or want to see about themselves. I found out this. Sometimes when God starts showing me things about me, I don't always like what he shows me about me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But as we go through this, as we, as we look at this particular story in these next few verses, let's look at a few things that really mattered to Jesus. All right? Let's look at a few things that were revealed the upper room first i want you to see number one as we're taking our notes number one i want you to see the love that's revealed i want you to see the love that's revealed two things that we see in the upper room that took place in the upper room shows how much jesus really loved his disciples really cared about those that he was leading and teaching if you'll look in verse number 14 when they came in when they came in and and, and sat down to the meal it says in verse number or verse number yeah, 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In other words, man, I've been, I couldn't wait to get here. 
And I couldn't wait to have this meal with you. I've been looking so forward to being able to sit down and have this meal with you. In John 13, where we're going to go in just a second, this is what it says about it. Now, before the feast of the Passover, which Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the what? End. Two things I see here. First, I want you to write this down. I want you to see the meal that he partakes. The meal that he partakes, a time of fellowship, a time of blessing, a time of sweetness, a time that he could sit down and, you know, there's nothing like eating a good meal with friends, is there? Man, just, just hanging out, just hanging out. And, and, and we love it, but, you know, it's not really the meal that's what's the blessing. It's the fellowship with the friends. The meal is just an opportunity to get us together so we can have that time of refreshing, have that time of talking, have that time of fellowship. But Jesus could not wait to be able to sit down where there was no distractions because you've got to understand, he was a rock star. He was a rock star. Every, everywhere he went, it, listen, he was just pulled and pawed on by people where he, couldn't, he just couldn't have any time. Everywhere he went, there was crowds surrounding him wanting to be healed or wanting help or wanting to... Uh, to be blessed or wanted to be touched and i'm talking about to the point they were just grabbing his garments and being healed everywhere he went he was being pulled upon everywhere he went he was on the clock man there's been times there's been times when i'd leave here and i'd i'd go to a restaurant and, and there'd be 15 or 20 church people in there and i would i would still feel anxious because i felt like i was still on the clock and I know that's a very small, 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 and even close to what Jesus went through. But I, I'm telling you, I can, I can understand how it fits. Because as a pastor, you feel like you have to help everybody and you have to fix everything. If you've got a problem, it's my job to, and, 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 and not just in this building, but uh, we can be in a restaurant and the whole church is full. And I, I can see somebody over here didn't get their order right, and I feel I need to fix that. That's weird, I know, but it, it, it is what it is. And, and sometimes, there's been times I've sat in the parking lot and pulled up and seen a lot of our people and did not want to get out. Not that I don't care about our people because I love our people, but I was just, I needed to be off the clock. I needed a time where I could chill. I needed a time where I, I wasn't responsible for anybody's issues and anybody's problems and anybody's situations where I could just chill. And Jesus was at a point where he could just be with his disciples. He only had a short time left. I mean, it was almost done. It was almost over. He had spent three years with these guys. Three years investing his life. Three years investing his time. Three years in investing frustration, tears, you know, uh, uh, three years of joy, three years of watching them grow and develop. And, and, and not only that, but, but being frustrated with their attitude. Because you're going to see that here in just a minute. But we see his love. Man, he couldn't wait. He was ready to fellowship with them and enjoy their fellowship. We see the meal that he partakes. But then we see real love being revealed in this meeting because of the mercy that was provided. The mercy that was provided. Uh, Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, he said that, that, that Jesus kissed Judas. Now, here's, here's the deal. I tried to find that. I tried to find that, you know, specifically saying that in the in the gospels now i might have overlooked it but i couldn't find it but 
in the in the custom in the eastern custom when uh, how many of y'all have seen people like in in iran or in the in the the emirates or or wherever over there in the middle east where they would come and you know they kissing on on each cheek and that, that was just a custom that was the way they did well that's the way they did it and the bible even says that in the new testament you know greet the brother with a holy kiss don't do it here because we ain't in the east amen handshake far enough amen it's all good right there it's it, amen but that's the way they did it. You know, that's just, that's just the way they, they did it. Now imagine this. Imagine this. Jesus is greeting all of them. Jesus is greeting all of them. He is the host. He is the host of the meal. He is the host of the night. He is the host of the evening. And as they are coming in, as he is greeting them. And, you know, here we go. Judas is one of them. Judas is one of them. The betrayer. The one who is selling him out. Yet, he kisses him on the cheek. Now, I believe that took place because it was the custom of the day. But whether that did or not, you know, I can't, I can't find. It doesn't say Jesus kissed Jesus on the cheek. It doesn't say that, but I believe that took place as he greeted them as they come in. It's not the only thing that took place. It's not the only thing that took place. Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus got down in humility as a servant and begin to wash the feet of the one who was selling him out. Y'all with me? You see the mercy? I mean, he is just showing love on top of love and giving opportunity on top of opportunity. Not only that, but then he says this. Then he says this. In the middle of the meal, he says, you know what? Somebody's going to betray me. Somebody's going to betray me. He's saying, oh, that, he's fixing it. No, no, no. Let's look at it this way. He's showing mercy by kissing him on the cheek. He's showing mercy by, by washing his feet. He's showing mercy. He's showing mercy by, by saying somebody's going to betray me. Watch this. He openly spoke about a traitor in their midst. However, however, he did not do this just for the sake of the disciples, but more for the sake of Judas. Jesus had kissed Judas and washed his feet, and now he was giving Judas another opportunity to repent. It is most significant that Jesus did not openly identify Judas as the traitor, but protected him until the very end. You get that? Y'all paying attention? He could have pointed him out and said, y'all know what he's fixing to do? But he didn't. He protected him. Well, why would he need protection? Well, you got a, a sword swinging. Conclusion jumping. Wild and crazy fisherman named Peter who likes to cut things off of people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Peter's in the garden. He cuts a man's ear off. Malchus, servant of the high priest. I was wondering how, I believe, I believe uh, he cut his ear off. I don't believe he went. I believe it was like this. I believe he was trying to cut his head off. And when he, when he went, he missed and cut his ear off. I believe he meant business. And it could have been that if Jesus would have told on Judas in the upper room, Peter might well have dealt with him right there. 
You see the mercy? At the point, now think about this. This, this brings another thing. Man gets his ear cut off. Another man picks it up and puts it on the ground, puts it on his ear, and it's better. I'm leaving him alone. I mean, that is like, whoo, okay. Judas comes in and 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 he thinks everything's hid. He thinks everything's, you know, uh, he's got this plan and he's working it out and everything's cool because nobody has a clue. Because when Jesus announced that somebody was going to betray him, nobody had a clue. Was it, is it me? It's amazing that they didn't even know Judas, but they didn't even know their own heart. Who's it going to be? Is, is it me? They didn't know what Judas was up to. But Judas hears this, and now he knows the gig is up. He knows this about me. He could have stopped right there and said, Man, I'm sorry. I need to make this right. The point I'm making about all this, he gives him an opportunity to deal with what's going on. Some people are running around thinking, hey, Judas had no choice in the matter. Judas, God had, God had planned, and, 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 and he made Judas do all of this stuff. Every single thing that Judas did was free will. He chose to do it. He chose to disregard everything he saw, everything he heard, every warning that come by, to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this upper room, we see many times of mercy. If Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, why did he choose him in the first place? And if somebody had to betray the Lord, why condemn Judas? After all, he simply did God's will and fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. How many of y'all heard people say that before? You know, hey, he was just doing what God made him do. God didn't make him do it. Before he chose his 12 apostles, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer. So we must believe that it was the Father's will that Judas be among them. But the selection of Judas did not seal his fate. you got to get this. The selection of Judas did not seal his fate. Rather, it gave him opportunity to watch the, the Lord Jesus even more closely. He had a greater opportunity than most anybody else on the planet to see who he really was. He had a chance to see Jesus closely, believe and be saved. Now watch this. This is really important. God in his sovereignty had determined that his son would be betrayed by a friend. But divine foreknowledge, say that word with me, divine does not destroy human responsibility or accountability. Judas made each decision freely and would be judged accordingly even though he still fulfilled the decree of God. In other words, God didn't make him do it, but God knew he would do it. So how do you explain that? He will when we get there. Say amen. There will be some things we're not going to get. There's going to be some things we're not going to truly understand until we get there, but one day we will. But keep in your mind and keep in the, right in the, the forefront of your thoughts that he had a choice. He had a choice. He chose willingly to go beyond reason, go beyond what he saw, go beyond the witness of Christ and the words of Christ and all of the things that testified that Jesus was who he said he was and willingly chose to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. But how many of y'all can see in this story so far that there has been much love shown in this upper room? 
to somebody who really didn't deserve it. But Jesus is love. Man, this is so great. This says even more about Jesus. He always goes above and beyond the call of duty to love the unlovable. Jesus said to you and me, he said, love your enemies, didn't he? Guess what he did? So all he's doing is asking you to do what he did. Amen? Yes, that's good. Amen. Number two, we not only see, we not only see a, a love that's revealed. Man, we see it more and more as, as we look at this story and what Jesus did and how he responded to Judas, how, how he wanted so much and desired to be there to fellowship with his disciples. But then we see a lesson that's revealed. Matter of fact, three lessons in, in particular. Turn with me to John chapter number 13. This is the same situation. This is the same situation, but John goes into a little more detail about what Jesus did. The disciples were fussing and fighting. They were, they were I mean, Jesus is fixing to die. He's fixing to die. He's fixing to be betrayed. He's fixing to be brutalized. I mean, just beaten. Uh, he's fixing to give his life for those that are destroying him. He spent three years trying to teach his disciples about humility, about, about uh, being a servant and, and, and not lording over people, but, but being a blessing to others. And, and in order to go up, you've got to go down, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I mean, he, he was trying to teach his disciples, yet they still wasn't getting it. I mean, he's in the most intense time of his life, in the darkest hours of his life, in the, in the time where he really needed them the most, and they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. After everything they saw, after everything they experienced, after everything they'd learned, they were fussing and carrying on about who was going to be the greatest. Who was going to sit in the best spot? Who was going to be? And after everything Jesus had showed them. Now, so he had to teach them a lesson. As they were eating the meal, I mean, they're, they're, they're discussing this and conversing over this, and all of a sudden Jesus gets up from his seat, and he takes off his outer garment and he grabs a towel and he girds himself with a towel. He grabs, he grabs a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, which is a, a, a job of slaves, not a job of the master. Not just the master, but the king of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the creator of all things. He is down washing the disciples' feet. What in the world is going on? Can you, can you imagine their shock? Can you imagine their response? He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After he, John 13, 5, after that he poureth water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. John 13, 14, look in verse 14. He says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. He said, listen, it's about humility. You'll never go up unless you're willing to go down. John said this, he must increase, but I must. He taught them a wonderful, convicting story about humility. You know why there's so many problems in, in Christianity today? Because most Christians are still full of themselves. And everybody's trying to get ahead. Everybody's wanting to be number one. Everybody's wanting to be recognized. Everybody's wanting to be in the forefront. Everybody's wanting recognition. And Jesus says, that's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I, I read a statement one time that says, when you realize you have humility, you don't have it anymore. 
Humility is something that is critically necessary to have the favor of God in your life. Because he hates pride. He hates pride. And the reason he hates pride is what pride does to us. And he sees it in his disciples, especially in Peter, the ringleader. Peter, he, he had a privilege that, that most of the other disciples didn't have. All the times that when, when Jesus was really uh, having the, the, the most intimate group with him was Peter, James, and John. When he was in the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, it was Peter, James, and John. When he went to, 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 to raise the dead, it was Peter, James, and John. Uh, most, of the, most of the most intimate times that Jesus had was with those three, and specifically Peter. At one point in time, at one point in time, uh, with, with uh, Jesus' relationship with them, he said, who do men say that I am? And said, some said, thou art a lie. Some, some we believe you're Elisha. Some think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter stood up without question, without wavering, without even thinking about it. He said, we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus speaks to Peter and he says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Unto thee I give the keys to the kingdom. What you loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. What you bind in heaven will be bound on earth. Somebody say amen. He has a special place and a special, just a special designation and a special anointing for Peter. And yet he was the biggest prideful person out of all of them. And Jesus is seeing all this. And you got to wonder what Jesus is thinking. Just like he does with a lot of us most of the time. Are you all with me? I know he's got to shake his head at me all the time. But he begins to wash their feet. Let me show you what I mean. You're not getting it, so let me let me show you. He begins to wash their feet. And he teaches them an important lesson in humility. And then he teaches them an important lesson in the upper room. An important lesson on holiness. An important lesson on holiness. You see, Peter, once again, he has something to say. Something, Jesus is down washing their feet. He's down washing their feet, and uh, uh, it says in verse number, uh, verse number six, verse number six, John thirteen, verse six. Are you with me? Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Boy, he was being humble, wasn't he? Now, you can say what you want, but he's, he was trying to look spiritual in front of all them guys. If I wash thee not, Jesus says, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter says unto him, see, he goes from bad to worse. Well, Lord, not my feet only, but wash everything. Go ahead and get everything. Well, Jesus shakes his head again. Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now, that phrase... Ye are clean, but not all. He's in reference to Judas. Now, I'll describe what he's talking about when he's, when he's saying you're clean. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. Now, let's talk about what he's trying to get Peter to understand. He's saying, Peter, you don't need to wash everything. Everything's clean except your feet. All right, now, what, what is he talking about? The word translated wash in John 13, 5 through 6, 8 and 12, and 14 is nipto. And it means to wash a part of the body. But the word translated washed in John 13, 10 is luo and means to bathe all over. The distinction is important. For Jesus was trying to teach his disciples the importance of a holy 
walk. Say that with me. The importance of a... When the sinner trusts the Savior, he is bathed all over. God washes us white as snow. Isn't that great? His sins are washed away and they're forgiven. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, God says. However, as the believer walks in this world, it is easy to become defiled. He does not need to be bathed all over again. In other words, he don't need to get saved all over again. He simply needs to have the defilement cleansed away. God promises to cleanse us when we confess our sins to him. In other words, when I, when I do something stupid in traffic and somebody cuts me off and I have a bad thought about it and, and, and have a bad attitude about it, uh, I don't have to go get saved again. I just have to go to God and say, I'm sorry. God, forgive me of my stupidity. Forgive me of my disobedience. I shouldn't have that attitude. Lord, please forgive me. And he washes it away. Well, well Peter's not getting the truth of the, of the point Jesus is trying to bring across. He's, he's trying to show them that they needed to walk clean. Uh, the disciples, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priests, uh, they, had, they had the laver there that was there in the tabernacle. And that laver there was for, their, for them to be clean. For them to, it was like a big bowl, if you will, a big, huge tub, uh, brass tub, uh, where they kept water. And they had a place in a mirror for their feet, too. They had to even wash their feet. Why? Because they could be clean, but in their daily duties and responsibilities in the tabernacle their feet could get dirty and god wanted them to be clean now what is the point we're learning from this god wants us to be clean you say you say uh uh what's the point i think everybody should take a bath every day say amen, amen. recommend it highly whether you need it or not amen we just need to we just need to stay clean i mean it's just it's just a thing well the same point goes spiritually we all have issues every day, don't we? We have slip-ups. We have things, and we need to keep a short account with God. Well, how do I know if I've got something in my life? God's beating your brains out with it. There's no question about it. There's no, and don't get, this, don't get this idea and this attitude neither. Well, I'm not perfect. We're going to sin every day. Don't, don't let that give you an excuse to get ignorant with God. Yes, there's going to be sins of omission. You know, in other words, we should have done something, but we didn't. Uh, and there's going to be... But this is, this is not a license to sin. You don't... You, just because uh, we can live, we can live relatively sin-free. Now think about that. We don't... We, I've, I've heard people make sure, well, it's okay, we're all sinners. We're going to sin every day. Not, you don't have to. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to be perfect because you sure ain't. Nobody is, without question. But we don't need to, we don't need to allow that kind of attitude to, to put us where we're lax about it. We need to keep a short account with God that when we do do something and God gets on our case about it, make it right. Make it right. You know why? Because living under conviction is miserable. And Jesus is saying, keep a short account. You need to be clean. You don't have to wash all over Peter. You don't have to get saved again. But there's going to be times in your life that you're going to have to clean up. And there wasn't his. There wasn't Peter's. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Why is it so important to keep our feet clean? Because if we are defiled, we cannot have communion with our Lord. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The word translated for... And by the way, too, why do you think God's making me preach what I've been preaching the last few weeks? It's not because he's mad at us. It's because he wants us close to him. 
He didn't come and get in David's face and point his face. And that was, I'm telling you, I don't know if y'all got this or not, but boy, when God just opened my eyes to see the main purpose that, that David was confronted, it was not because he, want, he was mad at David and wanted to get back at David and, and revenge. It was so he could have fellowship with him again. David was his buddy. Are y'all getting this? David was a man after God's own heart. Who could have such a close relationship with God like David could? How many of y'all been here have had a, a really, really good friend before? How many of y'all in here have had a really, really good friend before and something happened in the relationship and you might have been out of it and, you're, and it just broke your heart because of that? See, that's what God feels with you. He wants a close relationship. And if we have sin in our heart, if we regard iniquity in our life, he will not hear us. We can't walk with him. We can't fellowship with him. That connection with him dies, just like it did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Listen, he wants to be able to fellowship with us. He wants to have that, that, that communion like they were having in that upper room. And we've got to stay clean. He said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. The word translated part is meros. And it carries the meaning of participation or having a share in someone or something. When God bathes us all over in salvation, he brings about our union with Christ. And that is, set, that is a settled relationship that cannot change. The verb, the verb wash in John 13, 10 is in the perfect tense. It is settled once and for all. In other words, when we get saved, it's settled once and for all. We are clean once and for all. However, our communion with Christ depends on our keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, James 1.27. If we permit unconfessed sin in our lives, we hinder our walk with the Lord, and that is when we need to have our feet washed, spiritually speaking. Coming to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. Well, how will I know if I... You'll know. I don't have to tell you. You'll know. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is so big. And that still, small voice of the Lord sounds like a roaring lion sometimes, don't it? You know. That's what that parrot said. You know. Amen. That's a long story. All right. A lesson in humility. A lesson in holiness. But even, even more significant than that, he teaches them a lesson in happiness. A lesson in happiness. Look in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 16. Verse number 16. Uh, go back to 15. Go back to 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. In other words, humble yourself and serve one another. Quit trying to be the boss of one another. Quit trying to be the biggest in the kingdom. Quit, quit, trying, to, quit trying to see who's the greatest. But serve one another. Be humble. Be willing to serve. He said, I give you an example. Do what I did. Watch what he says. This is so good. Verily, verily. Verily, verily means truly, truly. In other words, pay attention because what I'm fixing to say is really important. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, neither he that sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, 
Read it with me. Say it again. One more time. You know what the devil's done with us? He's warped our understanding of reality. Because we think we're going to be happy if somebody serves us. We think we're going to be happy if somebody meets our needs. That's why so many couples can't get along. Because one's waiting on the other to meet their needs. And that's an impossibility. There ain't a woman on the planet, including my wife, can completely fulfill me and meet my needs. If I just sit there and let them try. Because my needs are going to be fulfilled when I am serving. When I'm meeting someone else's needs. But what happens is, in relationships, it all starts out right. It all starts out with one meeting the needs of the other and trying to impress the other and doing everything for the other and trying to prove their love for the other. And then when the golden man gets on the finger, a chemical imbalance takes place, and then you want the other person to do it. Preach it, Bishop, preach it. Amen. Before, before marriage... Yet we'll wait in that living room till 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 the sun goes down, waiting on them to get ready. And and when after marriage, you're in the car beeping the horn. I read a thing the other day that said the honey, uh, the woman come out and said, "Honey, if you will uh, come in and bathe the kids and change the kids and get them all ready and give them breakfast and everything, I'll sit out in the car and beep the horn for you." So something happens. Something happens. How many of y'all know I'm preaching the gospel right now? Jesus says, Jesus says, look, if you really want to be happy, if you really want to be fulfilled, it's not going to be by being the greatest. It's going to be by serving. It's going to be by humility. It's going to be by humbling yourself and meeting the needs of others. True happiness is going to come that way. He says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you what? He didn't say, happy are ye if you know them. Why are you saying that, preacher? Because a lot of y'all in here, you think, I have a revelation. I now know that I must serve. Now I will be happy. Not unless you do it. Knowing and doing. Hello. Don't y'all love me? Tell it like it is. Happiness ain't going to come from the revelation. It's not. Happiness is going to come when you apply it. Not revelation, application. That's quotable. Let me say it again. Happiness will not come from revelation. It will come from application. Yeah. I need to see that on Facebook later on, people. So y'all, uh, happy are ye if ye, come on, let's get serious again. Got one more point. Happy are ye if ye, 
do them. Not know them, do them. Serve. Be willing to be involved. Be willing to help somebody else. The sequence is important. Humbleness, holiness, then happiness. Everybody's striving for happiness, and they're bypassing holiness. And because they're bypassing holiness, they're really skipping humbleness. They're going and... I, I learned some bad news today about a another minister and uh, just totally disregarded the holiness of God and trying to find happiness and immorality. And now it's, it's, it's destroyed. Destroyed. And this world is trying to find happiness, but the devil is deceiving people and saying, listen, just do what you want to do. Do what feels good to you. Do what you think is right. And then you're going to find happiness. And God's saying that's not the case. And he ought to know he made everything. Say it with me. Humbleness. Say it again. Holiness. Holiness. Then happiness. How many of y'all want to be happy? If we will work on holiness, how do I work on humbleness? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about humbleness. God knows how to do that. He'll handle that part. If we will work on holiness. Holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Trust me, I promise you, God knows how to keep you humble. For instance, Dr. Brown, very early in his ministry, he was just not been pastoring very long, and, and he's pretty charismatic, I mean, really a, 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 a charismatic uh, uh, outlook and expression. He was Everybody loves him. I mean, you get around, you can't help but love him because he's just uh, 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 awesome. I mean, he has that ability to, to, to make you feel good. I mean, he's, he's got a way. He makes you feel like a million dollars every time he's around you, so... Uh, he was he was uh, doing a funeral and and he turned around and the and the the funeral director was there and he said son that's about one of the best messages I've ever heard in my life and he just he said before and he said when you got it you got it and he turned around and fell right in the hole of the grave he told that story to us he said boys I want you to know this when you think you got it God knows how to take it from you. How many of y'all have had the wonderful experience of God having to humble you before? Isn't that wonderful? Don't worry about that. God will handle that. Let's work on holiness. Let's work on holiness. If we will work on our holiness and our righteousness and our being right with God and walking with God, I promise you, happiness will be a byproduct. If we will quit searching for happiness and focus on holiness, God will make sure we have happiness. Amen? Man, I gotta hurry. Let's let's look at uh, number three. Number three. In the upper room, we saw love that was revealed. We saw lessons that were revealed, and this is when it really starts getting sad, because Jesus really gets blunt with them. He really begins to get blunt with them and 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 share with them what's fixing to happen. He says in John John chapter thirteen. 
uh, after Jesus or after Judas departed. Now he 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 Jesus finally uh, tells Judas, "Hey, what you do, doest thou quickly. It's your hour in the power of darkness. Just go on about your business. Do what you're gonna do." Judas leaves. And they still don't get it because they think because he has the purse that he's going out to get more supplies. Nobody still understands what Judas is going on except Judas and Jesus. Judas leaves. Now Jesus gets real intimate with, with the disciples. The devil's gone. Now we can have a real intimate relationship with Jesus. That's a good point. Sometimes we just need to get the devil out of the church, don't we? Listen, when, when Judas leaves, in verse number, uh, verse number 30, John 13, 30, he then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself. And I'm going to explain all this. God shall glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, you see how it gets real intimate here? Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the, unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. They gave up everything to follow him. They gave up careers. They gave up dreams. Follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. They did. Left everything to follow him. And now he's saying, I've got to go. Fixing to leave. Where I'm going, you can't come. He says, so now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you and that ye also love one another by these shall all men know that ye are my my disciples if ye have loved one to another it's not by your standards people people are not going to know you're a disciple by how much stuff you're against it's not going to be by how many rules and regulations you follow it's not going to be how conservative you look people are going to know if you're a disciple by how much you love somebody simon peter said unto him lord where are you going where are you going Jesus answered, Whether I go, thou canst not, y'all, you can't come right now. You can't come with me. But you're going to follow afterwards. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I lay down my life for your sake. Three things we see. Jesus is revealing his leaving, he's revealing his departure. So, A, we see a Savior's departure. A Savior's departure. What did it mean when Jesus, for Jesus to glorify the Father? He tells us in his prayer in John 17, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. This is the way all of us glorify God, by faithfully doing what he calls us to do. In our Lord's case, the Father's will was was for the Son to die for lost sinners, be raised from the dead, and then ascend to heaven. The Son glorified the Father, and the Father then glorified the Son. Say amen. We see the Savior's departure. He's finished. He's done what he came to do. He's come and he, and he lived the life. He fulfilled the law. And now he's getting ready for his departure and he's telling his disciples. And boy, it breaks their heart. It breaks their heart. I mean, here they are. They've left everything to follow this man. You say, how do you know it breaks their heart? Because in John 14, in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. So here we, here we have a, a real intimate time. 
a heartbreaking time. He's telling them he's fixing to leave and it's fixing to be over. But then we see Satan's desire. We not only see a Savior's departure, but we see Satan's desire. Back in Luke, back in Luke, the Bible says this. When Jesus, when Peter said, at the, at, we stopped, we stopped in John. We stopped in John where Peter said, look, I'm ready to go with you. I'll die. Hey, whatever it is, man, whatever, whatever we need to do, I'm willing to give my life for you. Well, at that moment, at that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, your spirit's willing, man, but your flesh is weak. Satan has desired to have thee, and they sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. And when he said Satan has desired to have, have you, he wasn't just saying Peter. He was saying you all. In other words, it's, it's plural. He was looking at all the disciples. He's saying, look, Satan, it, wouldn't, it, it would tickle him more than anything to have all of y'all and destroy all of you. To crush all of you. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. How many of y'all glad Jesus is praying for us? I've prayed for thee. The word you in Luke 22 verse 31 is plural. Satan wanted them all. These men had been with Jesus in his trials, and he would not forsake them in their trials. This was both a warning and an encouragement to Peter and the other men, and our Lord's prayers were answered. Peter's courage failed, but not his faith. He was restored to fellowship with Christ and was greatly used to strengthen God's people. Say amen. We see a Savior's departure. We see Satan's desire. Then we see a servant's denial. He said, Peter, you, you mean well, son. But before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Before the cock crows in the morning. Because he's going to be arrested that night. See, this is late in the evening. The night is fixed. He's fixing to go out into the night. He's fixing to go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to come and arrest him. He said, before the rooster crows in the morning, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to have to deny me three times. Man, Peter can't even fathom that. Peter can't even fathom that. When Peter said, I'm willing to die for you, he was serious. So how do you know he was serious? Who was swinging the sword in the garden? Now, I don't know if y'all have read the book, but he was greatly outnumbered. The reason that Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on his head was not just for the sake of the man's ear. It was so his disciples would be protected. Because here this, this multitude has come out, and it's Peter with his sword. They would have killed him. But Jesus rebuked Peter. I'm over time two minutes. Can I get one nugget in before we quit? Here Peter is. Here, and this is quick, guys. This is quick. Peter at one point, at this, especially right here, he's kind of offended. He's kind of offended because in another gospel, he said even more vehemently. I mean, it bothered Peter when he said that. I wouldn't ever, I'll die for you. By the way, they go out into the garden. They go out, and Jesus stays firm with what he said. He said, no, you're going to deny me. Before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. So here they are, they leave the upper room, and they go out into the garden, and, and they're praying, and everything's going on, and, and Peter just kind of lets it go out. He, he should have been praying. He should have been thinking about what Jesus told him, but he fell asleep. They wake up. Here comes Judas. They kiss Jesus on the cheek, and, 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 and they're coming to arrest. They're coming to arrest Jesus. Guess who stands up and goes to the rescue? 
Peter. He swings at one of the servants that's closest to him, and I believe he ducks to try to miss it, and he cuts his ear off. He was trying to take his head off. He meant what he said. I'll give my life for you. They'll all leave, but I won't. I'll give my life for you. And Jesus, he's defending him. Peter's defending Jesus. He's, he's actually giving his life for him. He's willing to die for the sake of Jesus. And Jesus reached down, picks up the ear, puts it on his head, and turns around to Peter and says, Put that up. They that live by the sword will die by the sword. You don't even understand what you're doing. Put that up. Now Peter's sitting here like, supposed to be the king you're supposed to be the savior you're you're supposed to be the messiah and jesus willingly gives up and gives in and surrenders and is arrested peter didn't understand calvary peter didn't understand the crucifixion peter didn't understand the plan of god and when peter said i don't know him He says, oh, Peter's denial. He was scared. Was he scared? Really? Was he scared? He's going to cut a man's head off. Peter was so confused. Have you, have you ever been confused with God before? Thinking God was supposed to do this and he does this? What is going on? Everybody else flees. They all flee, but Peter stays close. I think he's still trying to figure this out. And y'all know the story. Three of them ask him, no, I don't know the man. He gets mad again, and his flesh rose up, and what he used to be showed out, cussed. And that third time, he was close enough in proximity to Jesus that after he denied him the third time, he looked up, and there Jesus was. And they met eyeball to eyeball. And he went out and went bitterly. I'm glad it's not the end of the story, and I don't have time to go into it, but he was restored. When Jesus rose from the dead, listen, he met, he met uh, 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 the women there, and he said, Go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm okay, and I'm, I'm living again. Because Peter needed to know it's all good. It's all good. But that's, we'll get to that in a little bit. But upper room revelations. We see we see a love that's revealed. We see what was the second thing? What was the second thing? A a lesson. Lesson in humility, a lesson in holiness, a lesson in happiness. But then we see we see what was the last thing? A leaving. Jesus says, I got to go. I got to go. Next week. How many of y'all read 22 this week? All right. How many of y'all are just tricking me and you just want to make me feel better about it? All right. All right, Mr. Neva, you read it twice this week. Amen. 
Hey, read, read it again this week. Next week, we're going to talk about the garden. You say, well, how, what can we get out of the garden? Oh, boy. I got some stuff for y'all. Amen. It's going to be good. Read the garden and tell somebody. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm standing here in total amazement. As good as this stuff is, and as few people's in here as this, I just don't get it. I really, anyhow, I don't know. But I'm having a blast. Y'all having a blast? Hey, if it gets down to 10 people, that's where we started. We was in the gym, amen? So we're doing better than we was, amen, Gus? Uh, so just keep on praying, and, and let's keep on studying and keep on learning and keep on growing, amen? All right. I need a favor, too. I've been trying to look on my computer uh, on the titles of the first. Uh, Gus, you're missing the first four, right? Uh, uh, if y'all were here in the beginning when I started Luke, uh, I need the first four lessons, the first four chapters of the first four lessons. If y'all have them, if you can get the title, I can get it off my computer, but I'm having a hard time finding it. But if I can get the title, it would be easy for me to search for it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but just help me with that. And I'm, I'm going to keep looking on my computer, but if you'll help me with that, we'll get everybody caught up to where we are, okay? Church, say amen. All right. Well, we're going to pray. Uh, uh, who'd you? Come on, buddy. Move that for me, if you will. Uh, one special, special prayer request. I know we've been we've been spending a lot of time on on uh, Mr. Andrew, uh, but they they found out that that shepherds it's a, a a place in Atlanta that is really they specialize in, in head trauma and 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 uh, that type of thing. Uh, they have accepted Andrew, but now they're waiting to see if the insurance will be willing to cover it, which really burns my toast. Amen? Uh, it, but anyhow, let's pray for that. That needs to be a specific prayer tonight. So so we need to pray that God will God will get on the, the hearts of those people and, uh, and choke them down to the ground. Amen? Just make that happen because it will really bless Holly and bless Bo and uh, it will mean the world to them. So that's going to be a special prayer request. And uh, let's pray for Easter coming up. Man, I want to have a I want to have an awesome Easter. I want to. I, we've got to start generating excitement for our Easter program. Uh, it's going to be awesome. I'm telling you, you can't wait, cannot wait. How many y'all? How many y'all are curious to see what Buchanan's going to be this year? Amen. Uh, it's going to be good. You don't want to miss it. I promise you. And it's not going to be Jesus this year. All right. So, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ten year anniversary. Come on, right here. Do what now? Hallelujah. Don't even need to be in the vocabulary. Amen. She has put up with you for 10 whole years. Amen. All right. All right. How many great Danes do you have, Johan? Three and a half. And that half counts for a whole. Amen. For a regular. How, how big is the, 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 the gray one? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? $3,000 a week to pay for dog food. Amen? If, if, that is so good. Coolest picture. I don't, I don't know why I'm getting on all this, but I seen the picture y'all put where the where all the dogs piled up in bed, and, and then I seen one that had Marmaduke in, in bed, and they were out on the on the floor. That was funny. I mean, it's just till he gets over his cold. Amen. That's, all right. All right. Now, here's how many of y'all are excited about Easter? How many of y'all are going to get more excited? 
All right. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we get excited, we'll invite, won't we? We need to invite. Get those invite cards. We've got to tell people. How many of y'all know somebody that's lost? You know somebody that's lost. Where do people go when they die when they're lost? Shouldn't that be enough to get us excited enough to invite them to come? Amen. So let's make that happen. Let's find a place. Come on, everybody. Let's come up here, and we're going to pray, and, and we're going to ask God to help our services Sunday. I don't know. I don't know exactly what direction God's going God's to take us this Sunday. Uh, I've been knowing before Wednesday for the last few weeks, but I don't know right now, so God's up to something. And uh, so let's pray that God's will be done. It, it really, and I got to hurry because we're overtime, big time. So, but we got to pray. We got to pray. If you need to, if you need to grab your youngins, I understand that. But let's pray quickly before they hang me. Amen. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for the study tonight. Lord, I thank you for the things that we have learned about happiness, humbleness, and holiness. Father, I pray that you'll help us now apply that and use that in our life. And God, I pray that you'll be with all of the requests, Lord, especially with Andrew. Lord, I pray that you'll be with this insurance company. I, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't even know what they're thinking. But, Lord, I pray that you'll help them open their minds and open their hearts to take care of this, Lord. They paid their premiums. They pay what they need to pay. Lord, let them step up and make this happen. God, I pray in Jesus' name that your will be done. I pray that you'll help them meet the need. Lord, I pray that you'll move in an awesome way. God, I pray that you'll help the service of Sunday. Lord, I pray that you'll just uh, uh, move in an incredible way. We want to feel the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit up and down the aisles of this church. God, I pray that you'll move in an awesome way. Whatever the message is, whatever the thought is, whatever the subject is, God, I pray that you'll drive it home in an incredible way. God, we'll worship you. We will praise you. We will honor you. We will glorify your name because you are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we'll, we'll leave tonight thanking you for all that you've done for us. God, we love you. We thank you. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's children say it. Everybody say amen. Amen. Good night, everybody.